Welcome to Good God, Conversations That Matter About Faith and Public Life. I am your host, George Mason, and I couldn't be more pleased than to welcome today to our program, Jen Hatmaker. Uh, Jen, we're glad to have you with us. Oh, my goodness. My pleasure. Thank you for asking me. Thanks for the invitation. Sure, sure. So Jen is a, uh, a writer, a really, uh, how many books now, Jen? Oh, gosh. If you can believe it, 12. 12 I don't books. even know what I've said. I'm not, I don't know anything else. That's got to be the end of it because I don't know anymore. I've said everything I know. <laughs> well, you know, a, a, a really um, wonderful figure in uh, the Christian community and beyond, and especially, I think, uh, helpful to women trying to find their place uh, in the church and society. And uh, uh, Jen, you, uh, we're, we're going to be uh, putting this conversation on podcast row, you know, wherever you get your podcasts and YouTube and Facebook and all that sort of thing. Uh, but you, you've got Instagame. Uh, you, you really have, uh, you're out there with the cool kids and doing your own podcast and, uh, and, and staying connected to people. So uh, we appreciate you joining us on, on this program. I am so glad to do it. I don't know that I'm with the cool kids at all, but I do. It's, it's Podcasting is one of those avenues right now that are still incredibly available to us. It's a way for us to connect right now. It's possible. Um, We can still record from our homes and people can still listen wherever they're at. And so it does feel like a great way to just connect with and build our communities. Especially during this uh, coronavirus uh, lockdown or um, safe at home or whatever we're calling it, which is falling apart right now, honestly, uh, right? You it, know, is, it is, isn't it? Uh, we, we just, like everything else in our society, we can't seem to agree that yeah. sociology and science matter and that, uh, I know. you know, it's, it's, in, it, it's all about uh, personal liberties and freedoms and whatnot. It's, it's, it's a crazy time, isn't it? Well, and you and I are both in Texas where it just seems like all of a sudden, um, the greater good, the good of our neighbors and, and neighborhoods and communities and just reason and science, just it just felt like they just went right out the window, just overnight. Yeah. Um, there, are poor, there are parts in Austin here and, and outside of it that if you were to walk in, you would not even imagine it, anything was going on at all in right. the world. You would not even yeah. know. And so that there was a pandemic. And, and so, yeah, I'm worried about that too. I'm worried about yeah, that. I, to I'm, me, it feels like it's not really an overnight thing. To me, it feels like it's the culmination of this sort of long brewing suspicion of science and fear of government and yeah. control and all of that, that that you and I have known from the church community uh, and the subculture right. of evangelicalism for a long time. And it just, it seems like, okay, now it's just out in the open and it's in the corridors of power and we're just shocked by it, but we really shouldn't be. You're right. And, and it is disheartening to see the fault lines of some of that like political ideology, which is now we find ourselves in this bizarre world where the pandemic has become partisan, um, which is absurd by any right. measure. Um, but those fault lines arcing precisely and predictably with kind of evangelical Christian subculture. It's just the same, the same arc. And so really right when, right when you would imagine that the body of Christ would be the absolute first in line to be most concerned about our neighbors, most concerned about our health compromised friends and family and loved ones, um, the absolutely most willing 
to put aside personal liberties for the greatest good, you would think that we would lead that charge. And it's, it's discouraging um, that we're actually leading the dissent against yeah, that yeah. sort of precaution. It really is. Ugh. Yep. Well, you've written a new book and it's called Fierce, Free and Full of Fire. Uh, and there's a picture of it right there, and I, I have read I it. I tried to title it something so hard and long and impossible to say or remember, and I just feel like I really nailed it. It's a very really effing did. book. Uh, you know. <laughs> it is. <laughs> it is. We call it the F-word book yeah, um, yeah, internally. Exactly. So, yeah, that's exactly what it is. But it's it's subtitled The Guide to Being Glorious You. Yeah. And and I, I think, you know, as and I did read it, Jen, so... Uh, you know, oh, I, I, I do want you to know you have this male audience of a 63-year-old male pastor who's ready Finally. I've been going yeah. for your demographic forever. I know. <laughs> I can tell. Exactly. <laughs> but I do have a, a wife who follows you and uh, two daughters, uh, adult daughters, and lots of women colleagues uh, who uh, are really grateful for what you've done. So it's good for me that. to uh, be along the, on the journey, too. I love that. Uh, anyway, but, you know, as I, as I read your book and as I followed you, I, I have this image, right, of, of uh, Kim and I, my wife, we, you know, we walk the neighborhood some uh, a lot more lately. Yeah. Uh, and occasionally when we're really playing by the rules, we're on the sidewalk. And uh, some, every once in a while, you'll come upon this part in the sidewalk where it looks like it's just sort of going up like a drawbridge, right? Mm -hmm. uh, because there's a tree root that mm -hmm. just it has grown to such an extent that it is, it's disrupted the concrete, right? Mm -hmm. And the sidewalk is, is, is all uh, out, of, out of kilter and it's, it just can't contain it any longer. And it, mm -hmm. you know, it, it feels to me like reading you that, that this is sort of your story, that there was a, you know, at one time, uh, you know, there was a paving right over who you were, uh, mm -hmm. in a sense, and but it did not account for for the aliveness, for the growth, mm -hmm. for the change. And there came mm -hmm. a point at which the patriarchy, the controls of mm -hmm. society and the church in particular, and a, a theology that would keep you from growing, uh, couldn't contain it any longer. Mm -hmm. And I think that's the story for so many women, uh, in fact, in mm -hmm. uh, that, that you're appealing to in the way uh, that uh, that you write and the story that you tell and the permission that you give uh, for, mm. for women to be themselves. I love that metaphor. I love that because sometimes that sort of disruption uh, is, is cast as so negative or um, a falling away. Somebody wrote something about me and called it, this was my deconversion. And when the truth was, it was just growth. It was new life. Right. It was something springing up to bear fruit. Um, and so that is a really lovely way to think um, about what's going on in my life. And I think in the lives of a lot of people right now, and you know, too, you lead, you lead men and women who are doing the hard work of clearing some room for new life and for growth and for evolution. And that is not easy inside oh. subcultures that are, predicated on staying the same and on unanimity and on these sort of standard norms and group rules that we're expected to follow. Um, and so it can be a real courageous act to choose to let the, um, the, the root come up underneath the pavement. Really, I, I really, I'm not going to forget that. I really love that metaphor. 
Um, you know, you, you talk in your book about Sarah Bessie's line about how if we come to the end of our life and all of our beliefs and opinions are the same, we've been doing it wrong. Totally. And uh, there is something dynamic about uh, the gospel itself, it seems, that is always crossing barriers, always totally. taking us new places. And I, I think, you know, there's, there, I, I guess I suppose I get the idea that there has to be continuity across time about the faith once delivered. Uh -huh. um, but uh, at the same time, it, it does seem to me we, if we are Easter people we, and, and Pentecost people, we, we do yeah. have a sense that, there, that Christ is loose in the world somehow and that Absolutely. there is, uh, he's taking us in all sorts of new places and the spirit blows where she wills. That's exactly right. And I, that to me is a wonderful relief and, and, and the discovery of adulthood um, for me to be able to embrace and receive that. The, the teeny little two-line bit of the, of the Gospels that have always served me, that have really, really taught me this, I actually included in Fierce in the chapter on spiritual curiosity. But it is that just old this minute that Jesus talked about those wineskins mm. and how that's a container and the container holds as long as it can. Mm. Uh, it stretches as far as it can go. But at some point, the container has just outlived its usefulness. It's, it's brittle. It's stretched to capacity and it has no more room for expansion for any new wine. And so the, the wine constantly needs new wine skins. And so as you, as you talk about continuity, the wine is just good and it lasts generation to generation, culture to culture. What's good and true about God and Jesus is always, um, but the containers bear examination. Every one, every generation has to do their own work on reevaluating the capacity of the container they're keeping in it. And I think that's what this work is. Um, but you know, the story is even a little violent. Like if you keep shoving it in an old container beyond its capacity, the whole thing will burst. It'll, mm. it'll ruin the wine. It'll ruin the wine skin. And so it is kind of a, a violent experience to right. be able to say this has outlived its, its time. It served us while it did. And now we're going to kind of reconsider the form. Um, and I think that's where tons of, of Christians are right now. It's, it's a really wonderful community of, of spiritual, spiritually curious people. Well, you mentioned that. So I, I think it's interesting that you represent a, a beautiful example of uh, someone who has been moving in her faith, someone who has been... Um, angling more toward openness, toward big-heartedness, toward uh, a kind of uh, commitment to solidarity with the marginalized and the vulnerable yeah. and uh, that sort of thing, to, uh, uh, to, to being willing to affirm who you are, not just conform to what others want you mm -hmm. to be. And uh, that's a, a big part of the message of the book, but it's also uh, something we're seeing more and more among others who have maybe grown up in this more uh, tightly controlled uh, evangelical world uh, where there's uh, not just uh, about the, the nature of your theology, but the nature of your cultural conformity sure. uh, at, the, at the same time. And we're seeing figures uh, more publicly being willing mm -hmm. to articulate that. Uh, why do you think 
that's beginning to happen more and more. And the more it does, it seems the more it does. And that's, mm-hmm. to me, a pretty exciting development. But it does feel like there's something going on in the spirit out there. It does. And I think that's at its core. I, you know, I, my understanding of the spirit is that the Holy Spirit has just led us deeper and deeper into freedom with every passing year. That's the work of God unleashing the world. And, and we see that we kind of see the arc um, throughout history. And so I think this is deeply the work of the spirit. And then kind of what I see um, is something we've seen before there's precedence for it, which is any sort of forward progress. You know, a lot of people call this the progressive Christian community, which has a feeling to it. Now it's uh, probably been robbed of its meaning um, at this point, but just this sort of progressive forward nature in understanding God more and loving him deeper and carrying out the kingdom um, to a greater degree in our generation. It seems like every single generation of Christians has a handful of lead blockers, you know, who kind of, for lack of a better term, they just go first. They go first and they clear some path. They take a lot of hits Mm -hmm. and they are both loved and hated for their strength um, in, in that position as, as being kind of the lead blocker, but they do make way for people to come behind them, um, with some, with less injury, if you Mm -hmm. will. Um, Mm -hmm. and so I think that's what we're seeing too. I think we've had some really important lead blockers in our time and they have created possibility. Rest in peace, Rachel Held Evans. That's right. uh, Being an example of that, I think as well. And, uh, I, you know, I, I think you're right. You know, when a, a few years ago, uh, you and Brandon made the decision, as I did, uh, about mm-hmm. the same time, right. uh, yep. that we would be uh, LGBTQ affirming yep. and help our churches get to that po- point. And it, right. was, um, uh, it was exhilarating and it was um, deeply painful, too, wasn't it? Yes. Um, That's, it you couldn't be more right on both counts. Yeah. So um, I, we learned a you know, lot I think, from you. We we were watching you, by the way, and yeah. felt very kindred uh, with you and your faith community virtually the same time, yeah. and your leadership and and it, it lent us a lot of strength and yeah. courage and language. You've been a a mentor to us, and so we're deeply grateful for your witness and your courage to what we, of course, believe is just doing the right thing. Yeah, yeah, right. Um, Exactly right. And, you know, if it's not, as some of my um, friends who left our church, and there were plenty of them, um, they they asked me, you know, do you you think you could be wrong about this? And I said, well, you know, maybe so, but uh, if I'm wrong, I'm willing to take the risk that I stand before God and say, I actually took that grace thing really seriously, uh, that... You know, and, and I'm sorry if mercy overcame my commitment to the law. And, you know, okay. I, I only halfway uh, am, am joking about that. And, and, but I was serious with them when, when we had those conversations because they were earnest about, about their right. position too. Look, um, we, we can't always know that we're right, but, yeah. but we're, we're, supposed to, we're supposed to make a commitment to following the path that's before us as best we know. And That's right. I remember um, when when I started to do to do this, it, you know, I'm I'm sort of at the tail end of um, 
the logical arc of my ministry. Uh, mm-hmm. And I thought, okay, you know, I, I was 27 years pastor of this church and people were saying to me, oh, but your legacy, oh, but your legacy, you know, and I'm sort of uh. like, oh, but my kids, oh, mm-hmm. but my friends uh, who are gay, oh, but, yeah. and how am That's I right. going to look myself in the mirror someday if, um, if I say, oh, I, I was protecting my image. And That's right. You know, you just, you know, just can't do it. No, you really can't. And I hit the exact same impasse. And, you know, I, I had a public ministry in a similar space in sort mm-hmm. of evangelical women's subculture. Mm-hmm. And it was, I was very rewarded for my work there. Right. And it worked for me. I, that's my first language. It's my native tongue. Right. Um, I understand all the rules, both explicit and implied. Mm-hmm. Um, I know how to hit my marks. Um, I can do it with um, charisma even, which is doubly rewarded. And But my internal tension had grown to such a boiling point. And, yes. you know, obviously this particular um, issue forefront, um, mm-hmm. what the, the LGBTQ community and um, my refusal to stand with them and by them in favor of self-preservation. Um, but it was more than that too. It was um, women in authority. It was um, the protection of abusers. It was this lingering, weird aversion to doing the work of dismantling white supremacy. It was a lot. Right. And all of that just built and built and built. And I knew that those questions, those conversations, and those types of allyship would be punished. I knew it. Of course, I'd seen it. You've seen it. We knew. Absolutely. We knew what was happening. But I You had betrayed us. Yes. We knew. But it was either I was going to get to hang on to my career as I knew it, as I built it, or I was going to get my integrity. But I didn't get both. They were contrary. And so um, I picked integrity. I picked my neighbor. And I feel like it's the best decision we ever made. And the only regret, the only regret that I have is we did not step into that space sooner. I regret the years before. I I totally agree with that. In fact, you know, I have apologized and repented. um, Me too. For how long it took me. um, Because I think that my... um, my heart was there before my head was, and I wouldn't yeah. let my head get there um, because I knew the consequences, and, and I finally couldn't live with myself until I did. So, um, Absolutely yeah. same. But, but the beautiful thing, Jen, and I, I, I know you're experiencing this as well, is we thought at the beginning of all of this that the choice was really to keep your career and these relationships or keep your integrity. And what we found is that we got this whole new group of friends. Oh my God. <laughs> We've got a whole new community. We've got people that, that often felt, um, oh you know, exiled from uh, God and the church. And now that those friendships and the joy that we get to share with people, uh, it is, wow. It's, it was it unexpected. Is unbelievable, isn't it? Unbelievable. I, uh, Brandon and I marvel at how expansive our life feels now. Mm-hmm. And what, you know, sometimes when you dismantle something down to the studs, you don't have a vision at all for what will be rebuilt. You don't know. Right. And, and you can't right. know. You can't right. possibly know what will come in that space. And we didn't either. But to see the rebuilding 
um, with these friends and this faith community, and even this wider world of the spiritually curious, which of course you and I have also now discovered where hard questions and challenging discussions are not deal breakers. You know, they're not game enders. They're just simply a part of that, the fabric of being um, alive in the world as a, as a image bearer of God. And so that surprise discovery yeah, <laughs> has been right. the greatest joy. I just can't believe it. And I just want to go back. I, I just want to turn to the people who are where we were when it was that very terrifying, probably private, secret inquiry. Mm-hmm. Um, too scared yet to say it out loud, too yet to even give our, your, themselves permission to ask new questions of, of, of doctrines that we were handed. I want to just go back and say, oh, it's all worth it. Like there will right. be a cost built in 100%. We're not going to deny that. Right. But the beauty, the freedom, the community on the other side, I feel like it gave me my faith back, to be honest right. with you. Right. I didn't want the faith I had. I did, certainly didn't want that God, that mean, punitive, arbitrary, terrifying God of vengeance. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm just like, I just would rather just live free. And so I feel like what has returned to me is this vibrant Jesus that I always suspected meant what he said. Um, But now I know he is good and good alone. He is love and love alone. And that is such a relief to be able to love him without cognitive dissonance anymore. You know, I think that the, the LGBTQ question actually revealed some things beyond the question itself. And, and that is how we understand the nature of scripture, how we make decisions as the people of yeah. God, how we discern in our own spirit what is right. Yeah. Uh, because uh, you, you say in the book a really nice uh, part about how, how often Christians have thought about scripture as the place you go to answer the questions. That's and right. where where Jews go to right. the, the scripture, and uh, it it sort of just begins the conversation there. Yes, you know, it, it, it's an ongoing conversation with the saints of old and with the church across time, and it's a yes. it's a lovers' quarrel, and it's a mm. you know all those sorts of things. And and, and the fact that, is that to be faithful to the faith is not necessarily to make all the decisions that the early church made. Sure. It's to learn how to make them the way That's the early it. church made them. It's the path of wisdom. It is. Yeah, I learned yeah. that from Pete Inns, who I consider yeah. one of those important lead blockers. And I learned that from Rachel. Mm-hmm. She did right. a lot of that heavy lifting inside of her work too. And I, I, do you know when you read something and everything in you just, it's resonant. Like, uh-huh. yes, yeah. that makes sense. Right. It makes sense that this is a conversation starter, not ender. It makes sense that faith, moves with every generation in time and across cultures and spaces. And, oh, it's such a relief to, mm-hmm. to give it permission to be wild and free, um, to give God permission to do what he does without us just having to shrink him down into a formula. Oh, I've never been so relieved in my life to read <laughs> some of their work on how to understand the Bible. And I, I think, you know, people often listen to that. And uh, if you grow in, in the Christian subculture, you you sort of know that part of the argument is always about how God knows best for you and you, you know, you, you don't understand that the boundaries that you're given are really for you and for your well-being and 
you know, you can question them, but it, you'll only be hurt by, um, you know, violating them and these sorts of things. And, you know, I, I think what happens is there's this, this sort of suspicion that if we talk like this and if we make judgments like this toward a greater openness and freedom and a commitment to that for other people, that we're now into this spacious world of permissiveness and licentiousness and that there's anything goes and there's no rules anymore. There's no, you know, so how do you even have a sense of, of direction and, and have you deconverted and all those sorts of things. But, but there seems to be this failure to recognize that if you don't necessarily have all the external rules to conform to the whole point was of, of scripture uh, and, and the gospel is that you are being transformed internally, that mm. there's a new compass here uh, mm-hmm. and, and that, you know, that you're, you're being controlled spiritually um, by your relationship uh, to, to Christ, not uh, just by the accretions of time and what those others have said about that. Absolutely. And my experience doesn't even uphold that accusation. What I see primarily of people who have um, given permission, given themselves permission to transform and to grow and to evolve, to ask new questions, to re-examine doctrines. Um, My experience largely is that those are some of the most faithful people I know. Yes. Um, that that the that level of spiritual work in their lives has manifested in incredibly powerful ways in their ministries, um, in in the way that they love their communities, in their families and relationships. Um, I find those to be some of the best people I know, and so I think the slippery slope argument is lazy, and I think it's fear based. You know, I think mm-hmm. it's a trope to keep us um, in line. And to keep the status quo in check, which, by the way, benefits the same people it's always benefited. It's not neutral. There's a power differential inside that world um, that has operated um, on disparity for a very long time. So it's not as if it's altruistic entirely. Um, You know, we're asking questions of systems that have kept people out and down. And so we should expect some opposition to that sort well, that, of challenge. That's right. You, you know, I was um, I was on a, a panel last night uh, about uh, the book, uh, The Color of Law, and mm. the film that came from it, the short film called Segregated by Design, and it's all about mm. the, the legacy of redlining in our oh, communities. Sure. And, yeah. and, and of course, Austin, Texas was one of the first uh, big places of that's right. uh, uh, for this to, to, the, to happen. And, you know, it, it, That's right. just being the only white person on this panel uh, mm. was a, a great privilege, but also a great sense of responsibility because, sure. as you say, you know, it, we've had perhaps over time the privilege of being able to uh, sort of ignore the realities of yeah. all of these power differentials and all of these uh, you know, disadvantages that others have and advantages we have. And the reason we can do that is because we're benefiting by these systems. Mm. And, and so, you know, one of the right. things that's happening in this transformation of how we view the Christian faith and how we understand one another in it is that it's going to be unsettling. 
because mm. we had made commitments uh, to organizing the faith in ways that preferred some over others. Mm. That's exactly right. I mean, the the level of humility that this is going to take for true, I hate to use this old school word, I can't think of a better word, but like true revival um, in the American church is so high. Mm -hmm. The the number of things we are going to have to admit and repent from is just, it's so monumental. I'll just be shocked if we ever do it. And, And it's gonna have to come from people in power who have never willingly um, conceded their position, of course. And so, um, you know, I've come to just, this is all for me. I don't know how you feel about this. It's clearer. It's almost crystal clear from the outside of the community. When I was inside of it, it was way muddier because as you so saliently just mentioned, it was serving me. That's right. And um, except for the category of being a man, mm-hmm. I fit every other privileged category. And right. so I was in all the top drawers, except for that one tricky woman thing. Um, but so privilege is a reliable enemy of discernment. And so... That's right. Oh, that's a great we, line. Say that yeah. again, Jen. Say that one yes. more time. Yes. Privilege is a reliable enemy of discernment. So the yes. more we have the more we better be willing to say, I bet I have some really, really devastating blind spots. Um, And I should be prepared to examine those at all costs and be a humble listener and a humble learner and listen to the voices that are disenfranchised and marginalized, not the ones that are centered, Mm -hmm. um, and, and then believe what they say. Well, that's a great stopping point for this first uh, episode because I want us to pursue that question a good bit more as we uh, continue our conversation uh, next time. So, Jen Hatmaker, thank you for being on Good God, and we'll talk again. Absolutely. uh, Thank you so much. Okay. Thank you for tuning in to Good God. We're grateful that we get to be able to offer these conversations to you free of charge and especially now during this time of COVID-19 that is disturbing the peace for all of us we know that there are a lot of people and organizations that need your funding and so we're grateful to have the funding necessary to be able to present this to you without asking you to support us at this time please give generously to your faith communities and also to those nonprofits that are serving to encourage us during these days Good God is created by Dr. George Mason, produced and directed by Jim White, social media coordination by Cameron Vickery. Good God, Conversations with George Mason is the podcast devoted to bringing you ideas about God and faith and the common good. All material copyright 2020 by Faith Commons.